I'm Nikki Kristoff, and welcome to Teched Up. You'll notice that we have some new music, and that's because today, Teched Up turns two. We've had 62 guests, 32,000 downloads, and listeners in 27 countries. Great Britain, I'm looking at you. You're the greatest. I thought it would be fun to mark the occasion with a look back at some of my favorite moments from the pod. My team dug through a back catalog of conversations, and it was honestly super hard for us to choose just a few to highlight. But I hope you enjoy it. And on our next episode, we'll be back to our regular programming. For now, thank you as ever for listening and keeping this independent show up and running. Okay, I'm not trying to brag, but one of the very first people I ever invited onto this show joined me to talk about 2023's favorite topic, AI. That was two years ago when Will Hurd, former OpenAI board member, CIA operative and cyber expert, and congressman came into the studio to chat all things artificial intelligence. In recent weeks, you may have heard the term FOBO, that's fear of being obsolete, and this episode stands the test of time. I got a kick out of hearing just how smart and predictive Will's analysis was. And, and there's two parts of AI. Like we, we use AI now. If you're listening to this, this show on Spotify, and then they say, you would like this other thing, right? Guess what? That's AI that's being used. If you're using a mapping software that gets you from point A to point B in the quickest way, there's some AI behind it. There's another thing called artificial general intelligence, AGI. And this is a state where the, the algorithm is going to be smarter than most humans on most things. And this is a reality. We're going to get there, right? And so AGI is really that thing that is going to be super, super powerful. But to get to that, you have to have computing power. So you need, you need some fast computers that can tabulate all that data you're putting in to those algorithms that have all millions of lines of codes, right? And so you need that compute power. Compute requires energy, right? Now, I also think another element we should be thinking about is the policy around how artificial intelligence can be used. And so those are kind of the elements that you have when you think about, when you think about AI and AGI. And, and a couple years ago, Vladimir Putin said, and, and I'm paraphrasing, whoever masters AI is going to master the world. Yes. Right? That's probably one of the few things, I think that's the only thing. I agree with Vladimir Putin on. There is a lot to unpack in what Mm -hmm. you just said. So first of all, I don't even like it that Mark Zuckerberg knows that I want to see photos of cats stuffed into pitchers and fridges, refrigerators. Literally, Mm -hmm. they show me these photos on Instagram, and I don't like it. It makes me feel, it feels invasive, even though Mm -hmm. I do enjoy a good cat Cat photo on Instagram. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? And so I want to talk a little bit about the average person and how they're interacting with this, because I do think that there is, I think there is potentially a generational divide. There are these positive use cases of AI, but there are also ways in which the private sector, which has a lot of that compute power, these are the people that have the data centers that can Mm -hmm. run these algorithms that can then serve us things we want to click on and capture our attention. The private sector right now is dominating this, and it makes me, I'm curious what you think. Part of me thinks that this is why people are uncomfortable with it. It feels like a privacy invasion. Sure. And, and these are all valid questions, right? And, and so we can't tackle this question about privacy and data privacy without talking about that we're in a race. And, and I do believe that we're in a new Cold War with the Chinese government. One of the main reasons I started this podcast was because two summers ago, I could not understand a CNBC headline about, quote, minting NFTs. 
I know I'm always joking that listeners are fed up with the crypto conversations, but the data don't lie, people. According to my editor, these are always our top listen to shows. But if you want to hear just one smart thing we've said about digital currency on this podcast, the following clip from CEO Danelle Dixon is a fave. She makes an astute observation about digital payments on the blockchain that really, finally, explains the point of the whole goddamn thing. I remember I talk about this a lot, but the first time I ever used Western Union, it was to get a relative out of jail, which that's like another (laughs) another podcast. Um, It was a fifty dollar fee, which I was shocked by. I had no idea, but I don't often use Western Union. It's not in my daily life. And I was stunned. So it's this regressive fee structure. And to your point, there are many I'm talking about Americans because we're sitting in D.C. and that's what people in D.C. care about. Mm -hmm. But I do want to move to one other pilot case that you had. But, you know, I think about Senator Tim Scott. He comes from a district with credit invisible voters, a ton of credit invisible, meaning they don't have credit. And so I think that this is sort of you think about the haves and the have nots. And your point is it's okay that it didn't get attention as long as the people who need these services are finding them. That's right. And that's my part of it is like, I just want us to focus on utility and to focus on utility. You need awesome UX design. You need simplification, obfuscating the technology. Nobody knows that they're using, not nobody, some people do, that they're using HTTPS every day to send transactions over the web. That's okay. Yeah, nobody if, wants to know how the internet works. If they want to know, they can, <laughs> but they don't need to understand the whole thing about how the technology works as long as it's safe and secure to them and they have the opportunity to, to understand it. That's the whole thing. What I learned in early days of the web is that when it came to privacy, when it came to understanding the technology, notice and choice and opportunity were the most important pieces. That is like not just dignifying to everybody, it's actually providing them, you you make the tool so easy for them to use that it solves their problem. And if they wanna get into the details, they can. And so that's the way we need to think about this. It's a technology layer, people. It's nothing more than that. It's no different than HTTPS or how you send emails. We don't understand how SMTTP works all the time, but it's okay, because we know the emails get to where they wanna get to. And one of the other things that I think is really important that gets lost a lot in the shuffle is that when you're sending value from one place to the other and people talk about it should be free, the fact is it shouldn't. Because if you're sending cash and somebody's taking cash out, there's gonna be these mom and pop shops that are on that that have their feet on the ground that are actually the ones that are providing that the tools for people to come and pick up their cash they need a fee but that fee right now is increased because of all the different players participating in it with blockchain you can eliminate the intermediaries and get the fee to the people that actually really need it and so let's like really be clear about what we're doing here we're trying to like not just create a world where there's a borderless world for financial and in order to bring people into the financial infrastructure But we also want the people who are actually spending the time and money to be able to provide services to get paid, too. So there's a there are fees. There's a place for fees, but the fees don't need to be at that level. I think that you just hit on two points that are really, really important. So former podcast guest Kathleen Brightman, who's a co-founder of the Tezos blockchain, talks about how crypto feels so inaccessible to people because it's a combination of computer science, game theory and finance, Mm -hmm. which is not exactly an easy place to start. And when you don't have to your point, great UX, so people can just very easily understand how to use it. When it's complicated, you're, it's hard to get masses involved. And that's almost the flip of what we did with early yes. web. We made it, well, not web one, but web two made it really, really easy and simple for people to use it without having to understand why their email went from one place to the other. They just don't need to know. And they don't even have time to know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's an area of improvement. And then I also think the second 
really important thing you just said is you said something intellectually honest, which is it's not free and it's not going to be free. There will be fees, but they'll be much lower and more targeted. And so sometimes in the industry, when there's a conversation, again, that's very hypothetical or ideological, but not reality based, we lose some credibility because it's not really true that this is going to be free. No. And that is so important for us not to lose credibility on these issues that, frankly, we just don't need to be embarrassed of. The fact of the matter is we're making it better. Beyond spitballing about emerging technologies, another major theme of this show is exploring the symbiotic relationship between Silicon Valley and D.C. For regular listeners, you know I'm always trying to convince technical people to come join us here in Washington to work in or around the federal government. In April of 2022, former Navy officer and current president of GDIT, Amy Gilliland, joined us on the pod to make a convincing case for doing just that. I was sitting at Google's offices here in Washington when I got a phone call about Edward Snowden. Yes. And I'd never heard of Edward. No one had. No one had heard of Edward Snowden. It was That was the thing, right? That was the thing, right? And there was a pivot that I could see in the industry and among engineers and then maybe even in some ways worsened during the political, I'll just say calamity of the last few years. doesn't really matter what your politics are. I have always been, I'm not going to short the United States. I'm long on America. I've always been someone who feels that technologists should be working to help the government. But I think we're in a moment where especially with what's happening in Ukraine, especially since we know there's going to be some sort of cyber attack on our critical infrastructure. It's a matter of when, not if. We know that what you were talking about with climate, these models are incredibly important. And it is the government who tracks these things and will show up and will help. And so I think we have this opportunity to get people in tech excited about some of the tools we're building that maybe were dormant for a while because they were going to startups and going to these platform companies. And if people are disillusioned being at the big tech companies for whatever reason, this really has a a geopolitically critical opportunity. It's it's such an interesting point when I go out and talk to employees and really try to understand. I think all employers are looking at their value prop right now. Why GDIT or why Google or or why whatever it is as you have the shuffling I agree with you that being able in this moment and we haven't been at peace in the decade before this, but in this moment right now being able to affect the mission so quickly and you you, you can see it and feel it and read it in the front. I can give you many examples of how what we're doing is impacting what's going on in Eastern Europe right now. That resonates. And so we sometimes see, we have employees that leave us to go work for tech companies. And there's a lot of boomerang there because Mm -hmm. it is six degrees more separation from the mission. Our folks are oftentimes sitting at the same, in the same office space or adjacent forward deployed we're globally have employees everywhere. And so I, in those settings, you're, you're right there. Somebody's not telling you what the mission is, you're experiencing the mission. And I find that that really motivates a lot of people as we all reconsider, like, why do we work? Why do we, why do we right. come to work? Why do we do what we do? The mission is, and I'm passionate about it myself, but it does, it does excite employees. And to the extent that they can understand that It's pretty cool technology, cutting-edge technology that we are working on. Now I'm going to switch gears and do a lightning round of some of our guests' best hot takes. Kicking it off is one of the biggest sleeper hits of the past two years, entrepreneur and former congressman and presidential candidate John Delaney. I think the facts favor the optimist. I think technological improvement, 
by any measure has improved the condition of humanity across time, full stop. And it's doing that as we speak today. There's no question about it. So I don't think we want to be Luddites, right? We don't want to be turning the world back to a world that we thought was better when it actually wasn't. So one of my main pastimes since I started this show is keeping an eye out for interesting guests that I can sweet talk into coming into the studio. I was delighted when I literally physically bumped into Bumble's Peyton Aheme back in June 2022, and she said yes to being a guest. We talked about how at least one dating app is working to make the internet a safer place for us all. One is we hope that it it helps to scare off and, and prohibit some of the people who are doing this uh, cyber flashing to stop. That's main goal. Second, it's to empower the people who are on the receiving end of these to realize it is a thing. It does have a name, multiple names, as you've pointed out, and there is work that can be done about it. The internet is the economic driver of our generation, and it will be going forward. Why should a large percentage of the human population have one experience on it and the others have another? Why do we have to hide on the internet? Is it a day ending in why? If it is, then you know I'm ranting about TikTok. Senator Mark Warner and I bonded earlier this year over our shared concerns about the Chinese Communist Party's growing influence over global tech, from apps to standards to content manipulation. Here's a teaser of our conversation. America's always been its best when it's been future leaning. One of the things that's kind of been a secret sauce in terms of America's success, literally since Sputnik, is with virtually every technology innovation, even if it wasn't invented in America, we got to set the rules, the standards, the protocols. We did that in wireless to start with, we did it in satellite, we did it in TV. You name software. China woke up to that. And in 5G, for example, in the next generation wireless, they were not only had the world's leading company, but they were starting to set the rules. Uh, we see that as well in terms of China investing in a lot of the, the forums around artificial intelligence. And boy, you do not want an authoritarian, non-privacy protected you know, regime setting the rules for AI on a going forward basis. Some of the best episodes of this show, at least for me, are when I'm learning a lot about something I know nothing about from someone super smart that I want to hang out with. DC policy woman about town, Denise Jung, came into the studio and helped make sense out of the metaverse, what it means and where it's headed. We need to design the metaverse so that it's human centric, right? But from a privacy, security, and safety standpoint, we found that consumers care about that the most. And that means I think companies need to lean forward. They need to lean for further forward than they have in the past and think about, you know, what privacy controls to put in place, not just, you know, privacy by design, but privacy by default. And last but never least, AI aficionado Austin Carson, founder of Seed AI and DC's very own skater boy, came into the studio last summer to answer a question on a lot of our minds. Are our phones listening to us? Here's what he said, but I honestly feel like I need him to come back on the show for a refresher to let us know if it's still true. By the way, the computers can't actually at this point process your spoken word at a rate possible for them to be eavesdropping all the time. But everybody thinks they are. Everybody thinks that they are. But that's because what you and the people that share your Internet access. So on your Wi-Fi, it aggregates those things, too. Right. In some way have represented your interest in this thing. And that's why it feels like they're listening to you. And it's also because our memories themselves are imperfect. Right. Finally, I'm rounding out this episode with a segment from one of my favorite conversations, a chat with Bloomberg reporter and best-selling author Ashley Vance about the business of space. 
We dropped this episode right around the 4th of July holiday, and I think it's an excellent one that some folks who were vacationing might have missed. If you like what you hear, this is one I definitely recommend going back and listening to the full episode. Planet Labs is just this incredible thing that people should know about. I mean, they, they've they surrounded the Earth with with about 250 satellites. Some of them are shoebox-sized. Some of them are like mini refrigerator size. Those are the old skybox ones. And, and you know, historically... Imaging satellites are like $500 million to a billion dollars. It's like the size of a school bus. It takes like six years to build them. They're supposed to stay in space for 20 years. They they can only look at really where you tell them to look, points of, of interest. So so even massive governments like the U.S. or China or Russia, you know, they have a relatively limited number of these satellites. You have to direct them to, to whatever you're trying to spy on. And, and, and I, I like that you mentioned something, but I want to sort of go even more into depth, the idea that you can monitor for climate issues. I think for natural disasters, for seeing in real time what's happening, this kind of imagery is essential and important globally. I think I think people I think this is the key to making so much of whatever we're trying to do with climate change work because, you know, like you said, first of all, the you these images, if there's a volcano erupting, something like that, I mean, you get a sense of the the scale, what, exactly what's happening when a hurricane hits somewhere. You can see what areas are flooded. But but on the bigger picture, you know, these satellites now literally can count every tree on Earth. They use AI to figure out what type of tree it is. So they figure out its biomass, then they calculate exactly how much carbon dioxide it sucks down. They're looking over all these oil fields in in Texas and Oklahoma. They can see methane leaks. They can see exactly how much methane is coming out. You know, so I think if we're going to like put real metrics around things like carbon credits where you've bought some forest in South America and you have no idea if somebody's planting something there or not, or or you're trying to trying to tax a company for their toll on the environment. I just think these these satellites are like our only hope of of a- adding actual metrics around this stuff, and we're like not far off at all. So Planet is already doing that now. There's specialized startups that are like just looking at things like methane and just looking at trees and making this their business. Yeah, so I think it's a that's the moneymaker, right? You can have hedge funds and investors who want to count cars and parking lots. And then you can have companies who are potentially either voluntarily or going to be forced to, you know, be carbon neutral or report on their emissions. I think it's a great, it's a great and important business model. So there's imaging on one side and then the other side is this space internet. So this is the Starlink kind of concept. Which yeah. do you want to talk about that as a business model? Yeah, I mean, you know, like we said, the rockets don't really make much money, but these satellites potentially do. And and there's this huge race going on, which again, SpaceX is is in the lead on to make this space internet. And this is really what's driving this exponential increase in the number of satellites. So until like 2020, we had about 2,500 satellites in low Earth orbit. Over just the last three years, that's tripled now to about 10,000, and it's set to go to about 100,000 or 200,000 because SpaceX wants to put up about 14,000 satellites. OneWeb wants to do the same. Amazon is about to launch a fleet of, of 14,000. China is going to want to do the same thing. Every, you know, Anyone who can sort of afford this is going to want... To have a space internet system, which is essentially a telecom system that is not really bounded by geography. And it, more importantly, I think people have underestimated this, is that it will provide this this 
always on internet, just kind of washing over the earth. And and like a lot of us think that's like not a big deal because we're like on the internet all the time, or you have your cell phone when you're traveling around. But you know, there's these huge gaps of of all, all this stuff we've heard about for years, like the Internet of Things and like sensors on container ships and in farms and like you know reporting reporting about what's happening on Earth. This really depends on some sort of always on kind of fabric, and so. I think people underestimated this to me. It's like so clearly like 1996, we're laying fiber all over the world and building data centers. We're just building this new infrastructure in this computing shell around the earth. And I think it's going to change. I actually think that's to your point where the money, I think that's where the money is going to be. And, and so far people are kind of focused on like, oh, I get internet at my vacation house in the woods. But I think it's much, much, much bigger than that. When you have this like always on fabric, things like self-driving cars and drones and what have you, it just, it changes everything. Thanks for taking a trip down memory lane today. I gotta say it was brutal trying to edit two years down into just a few clips, but I tried to focus on some episodes that might've slipped off the radar. You can find all of our previous content on our website, YouTube channel, or wherever you listen. We've got exciting stuff planned for the future, including video content, naturally the new music we've debuted today. So stay tuned. And if you like what you hear, please do drop us a line, recommend us to a friend, or leave a five-star review. It really helps feed the algorithm. Maybe we'll even do an episode on Podcast Algos. Until next time.